Hello, fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mulkel, here with my animated co-hosts. Whoa. Oh, nice. <laughs> I'm Chelsea Hollowell, a neighborhood dog that ate the wrong turtle, and now I'm crazed. But I just need a little bit of love and understanding. Is this a common thing to be? Of course. What are you asking? What oh, okay. I'm just, I'm just making sure. <laughs> <laughs> but who am I actually? Uh, uh, I'm Jack Olander, like, uh, I'm, uh, a badger wearing overalls. Okay, okay. And I play the bassoon. All right, very nice. And that's who I am. I mean, I'm looking at you with my eyes, and I see that that is an accurate statement, so I'm not surprised. I don't ever put the bassoon down. It's no. It's just part of who I am. I mean, why would you? Yeah. Do you play the bassoon? Well, I mean, it's always with me, so surely I I have to, right? Okay, okay. Are you a type of automaton? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, let's just get right into it on that note. This is another episode of Satire TV. It's been a little while because it was just spooky season, but these are the episodes where instead of a movie, which we do in our main series, we talk about a TV show. And oh boy, do we have a great TV show for all of you this week. It's a little treat for your ear holes. That's right. And the show is a treat for your every hole. <laughs> your brain hole, your heart hole. Right. Your eye holes. Your gut hole. Yeah. <laughs> your foot hole. Yeah. Your- All the holes. <laughs> Guys, we are talking about Over the Garden Wall. Yeah. So hype. Beloved Cartoon Network series. It's really kind of a uh, movie length experience if you take it as a whole. But we're going to be talking about it in episode chunks. Yeah, in three parts. You know, delicious, delicious episode chunks. Yeah. Ooh, tasty. So today we're going to be talking about episodes one, two, and three, The Old Grist Mill, Hard Times of the Huskin Bee, and School Town Follies. But hey, Chelsea, what's this show all about? What's the deal with Over the Garden Wall? Well, I'm glad you asked, Jamie. I think we can give people a few key takeaways about these first few episodes. I think that's a great idea. So, in these first few episodes, we learn uh, that Wirt and Greg are lost in the woods somewhere. It's in the unknown. Wait, you mean we don't know where they are? It's an unknown realm. It's unknowable. I thought they were in Pottsfield for part of it. They go to Pottsfield, but that's part of the unknown. Okay, so it's the unknown, but they know that it's Pottsfield. Right. Okay. So it's kind of known. Partially known. Why didn't they call it the partially known? (laughs) So it's kind of like the unknown is a place where lost people are 
become trapped. And they they claim that they're lost in the woods. Wirt is kind of like, wait, where are we? How did we get here? We're lost. I think we didn't leave a trail for ourselves. And Greg, so I think they're brothers, right? Yes, that, that seems to be the case. And Greg is the younger brother. Wirt is the older brother. Hmm. Wirt is kind of a, a sad sack. He's a real Elijah Wood type. <laughs> <laughs> and Greg is just lives moss. You know, he's a real Mike type. Yeah, we're talking Mike from Phantasm here. Exactly. Beloved Halloween film, Phantasm. Yep. Embodier of the Taco Bell philosophy. <laughs> Live moth. Yes. So they meet a woodsman and a bird named Beatrice, a talking bird. And they learn that there's a beast that roams the unknown the <gasps> in the woods. And he causes havoc for people and terrorizes people. Oh, I'm so scared, guys. Sings like the four winds. Yeah. Yes. And that they need to look out for him. And, and the woodsman says that it's also not a place for children. So that's kind of a hint at who the beast tends to go after, I think. Mm-hmm. Trigger warning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, Beatrice uh, tries to tell them about a lady named Adelaide, the Lady of the Wood, who helps lost travelers. Oh, that's nice. They don't buy it at oh. first, but after they defeat like a hellhound that was a dog that ate a cursed turtle or something? Yeah, come on. Let's not typecast hellhounds. <laughs> this is more of a heck hound. They meet Beatrice on the road and she's stuck in a bush. And Symbolism. Yeah. Uh, Greg helps her out and she offers to pay them back with a favor. A wish? Oh, awesome. <laughs> what am I going to wish for? Uh, well, Greg wants to become a tiger no matter how many times Beatrice says that's not something she can do. <laughs> but Greg is just the embodiment of hopefulness. So she says, hey, we could, I could take you to Adelaide. She mentions it again. Uh, she claims that Adelaide can help them get home. Seems legit. When a bird tells me that she's going to take me to a mystical lady of the forest, I always follow. And that's when they head to Pottsville because Wirt doesn't really trust Beatrice yet and he's following the woodsman's directions for how to get out of there. And Pottsville is the nearest town. So they go there to try to get help. But it turns out things are a little sussy over there. I don't know what you're talking about. Everyone's just running around looking like completely normal people with pumpkin heads and pumpkin bodies and... Doing a bizarre death ritual in the barn. I exactly. Mean, this sounds like basically every day at my place. Or just like every harvest festival we've ever been to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that these kids are really ethnocentric in the way that they treat the people of Potfield. <laughs> now, Wirt kind of points out that it's just some cultic ritual, and he's not too worried. But Beatrice and Greg, you know... Well, I guess Greg, nothing really flaps Greg. No, Greg is blending in. He puts on a pumpkin. He doesn't understand the culture, but he's enthusiastic. There you go. Okay. They get out of Pottsville because it turns out those people can't really help them out. 
And then they get back on the road, and uh, they finally are convinced to follow Beatrice to Adelaide's house, but on the way, they stumble across a, an old schoolhouse. Where, oh, boo! <laughs> where they're actually teaching animals who are in co- uh, dressed up in schoolboy outfits? I don't know. I retract my boo. <laughs> yes. Just kidding, kids. Stay in school. Yes. And all Greg wants to do is spread some hope and light in the world, and Wirt is kind of beaten down and doesn't believe it's possible, but in the end, they help a guy out of a gorilla suit. (laughs) Another typical problem that we're all very familiar with. And they help raise money for the school that was struggling. And it's all thanks to Greg, who just kind of, like, lives moss and and believes that the universe is out there to help him. Yes. (laughs) Greg is a real people's champion type. And after they save the day there, they head back on the road towards Adelaide's place. Yes. And that's where we leave off. I hope those crazy kids are still alright. I guess we'll know after we watch the next episodes. Alright, well, that's what happens in the show. It's probably time to get into the delve. Welcome to the Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of the first three episodes of Over the Garden Wall. Yes. <laughs> so, guys, we've got an interesting show here. A lot of strange imagery, a lot of wild stuff going on. These kids are in a fantastical world. They seem to take most of the weirdness that they experience pretty well, all things considered. They're both like gnome children or brownies or something they seem like fantastical creatures that is my take on it at this point (laughs) Mm. that those were my thoughts about them the first time we watched this this is actually our second watch through of the show i really think you're just typecasting wirt because of his pointy hat he looks like a gnome (laughs) yeah it's true and um yeah they're in obviously some kind of fantastical forest that's called the unknown and they were out walking in the woods together and got lost and they're trying to find their way back home right i'm sure it's that simple and there's not a whole lot else going on just kidding (laughs) we can tell almost immediately where it brings up to greg like wait a minute what's even happening right now yeah not only are they lost in the woods he's like how did we even get here, yeah. right? We're so fucked. Well, I... <laughs> it doesn't say that. The first time we watched this Greg, show... Greg, we are completely fucking fucked, man. <laughs> Game over, man. <laughs> the first time we watched the show, I assumed that there was, like, some kind of magical illusion going on, and there was, like, causing some kind of brain fog where they couldn't remember how they got there. It's true. And a lot of aspects of where they are are super alien to them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, when Beatrice first starts talking, Wirt starts, like, slapping himself. He's like, what's happening? Like, bird brains are not large enough to allow for speech. Yeah, it's true. And Beatrice is like, excuse me? (laughs) (laughs) I love that moment where, like, we're getting this real scientific understanding of neurological development and stuff. So it's already kind of situating us in 
this weird space where we're not really sure where Wirt and Greg come from at the beginning. Right. So, yeah, we're getting this kind of magical realism thing where we've got two primary characters who are somewhat out of their element. But again, they're taking it in stride for the most part. And in Pottsfield, they don't want to stay there because the pumpkin people are actually skeletons wearing pumpkin heads and bodies. And, and pumpkins Again, in their bodies. I, I still don't understand what's weird about that. <laughs> it's true. Now, there are two interesting things about that in Pottersville. Pottsfield. Pottsfield. <laughs> well, the reason I say it wrong mm. is because there are two references in that episode to, well, partially to our real world. There's a bit of meta knowledge that's part of that. Uh, the episode is, it's the one where they go to the people who wear pumpkins and they're doing like little medieval dances and they're having their harvest celebration. Yeah. And there's the scene where they have to dig up two skeletons who are actually citizens and it's their time to rejoin the community, right? Right. Yeah. And apparently the name Pottsfield is a reference to Potter's Fields. Right. And uh, it's supposed to be a reference to when land workers, like farmers and ranch hands and stuff like that, were so poor they couldn't afford gravestones. Okay. Right. So all throughout the Midwest and in Europe and stuff, there are these, like, communal graves of unnamed farmers that are just all buried in the same spot. Yeah. Oh, wow. So yeah. what you're saying is that this entire episode is about class struggle. Yes. But no, I mean, it's true that this theme of labor constantly comes up in the show. I mean... And responsibility. Greg and Wirt are sentenced to hard manual labor of digging a couple of holes, which... For the transgressions of, like, trespassing in the town. And murder. <laughs> okay, not murder. <laughs> <laughs> um, they destroyed some of the crops, and they were infiltrating this, like, sacred ceremony they were doing. Yeah. Now, it's weird because at first the citizens of Pottsfield are just like, hey, you guys, it's cool. And then suddenly, like, uh, the head of their cult, Enoch, kind of spies them and goes, wait a minute. Well, You're not supposed to be here, yeah, boys. Yeah, and one of the citizens bef right before that says to word, oh, you're here early. Yeah. You're not supposed to join us yet. Yet. Yeah. And why is that? Because they're dead. Yeah. <laughs> because they're the living dead. And Wirt is not a skeleton. He's a skeleton in a flesh bag. So we kind of get the inkling that maybe this is part of an other world, an underworld, a purgatory or something. Absolutely. Especially because there's the good line where, at the end, Greg and Beatrice have already run off, made their escape. Yeah. And Enoch is saying to Wirt, like, hey, are you sure you guys want to leave? It's yeah. It's pretty good around here, not going to lie. And because uh, they have all this food, they yeah. have good community. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They have uh, an established culture. Yeah. Right? And A rich and beautiful ceremony. Pumpkin. 
with pumpkins. Yeah. It's true. They are really psyched to see those two skeletons get dug up. Yeah. And they're all, there's. it's a pretty good reunion, I think. Larry yeah. is the life of the party. Yeah. Larry starts putting on his pumpkins and people are like, woo, Larry, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, think about it. These are, you know, as Jack pointed out, these are the skeletal reanimated remains of farmhands, laborers, but they are represented as this rich and beautiful community of people. They and have, I love that. They have everything they need. And also Enoch, after he says, Are you sure you don't want to stay here? He says, well, and when Wirt says he's going to leave, he, Enoch's like, well, that's okay because you'll be joining us before too long. Yeah, you'll <laughs> Wait, be back. what do you mean? Yeah. yeah. But I love this kind of uh, theme about... How in death we're all equal, right? Yeah. So the afterlife that they experience here is first off pretty sweet, not yeah. gonna lie. And this world that they inhabit is like a socialist utopia where everybody is working and living communally and participating in civic rituals and really show a great deal of love and admiration for one another. It's true. Seems like a pretty sweet deal. But no, I really like this representation of who would typically be the lower classes, but they're really some of the most relatable and friendly people that we meet in the entire series. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Like, in, in a lot of other situations, and, and you know, Wirt is somewhat off-put by them, but in a lot of other films or series, the living dead are portrayed pretty negatively. Oh, yeah, that's true. And these are like a bunch of friendly skeletons. Just like, hey, you can hang out here if you want. We'll we'll accept you. Beatrice is pretty afraid of them, and she wants to get out of there right away. I mean, that makes sense, because animals tend to avoid dead things. It's true. Unless they're carrion eaters. Beatrice is also a very distrusting person. Yes, or bird. Very unkind bird at this point. She's also nagging work, though, the whole <laughs> yeah, time. Oh, true. God, especially in episode three. Yeah. yeah. Like, aren't you a sad little bitch boy? <laughs> yeah, basically, she's telling Greg to be more like Wirt, and at first Wirt's like, oh, thank you. And he looks all smug, and then she's like, yeah, he's easily manipulated, and he's a pushover. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, he's like, wait a minute. <laughs> and she's like, he's just going to do whatever people tell him. <laughs> Yeah, and he spends the whole episode just kind of like, oh, I guess I just do whatever I'm told. I gotta listen to Mrs. Langtree, the teacher, who's telling me to sit down and go to class and not to run off with you on an adventure. It's true. He's pretty belligerent after the blatant insult from Beatrice. I mean, he barely knows Beatrice. They've been at each other's throat basically the entire time that they've been traveling together. She's pretty adamant about taking them to Adelaide's house, though, and she's obviously manipulating them, and so it's kind of sussy. Also, she's a very uh, aggressive person. There's a scene in the second episode where Wirt falls over and he hits his head on the ground, and Beatrice is, like, smirking at him, and Ooh. he's just like, come on, man. <laughs> it's just like, uh, it's cruel. It's cruel. Yeah. She is not nice to him. It's no. clear that she isn't treating them like people. Yeah. Greg, on the other hand, I mean, I feel like Greg is just one of those guys who 
pretty much gets along with anybody because he sees the world through this innocent lens of just overwhelming optimism. Yes. So he kind of ignores Beatrice's snide remarks. Yeah, he's hype. (laughs) And Wirt is pretty much a pessimist. Greg kind of comes across as the optimist as oblivious, blissful, but he has a will to act and he's hopeful and he's all about charity. So it's kind of this interesting... Greg is a kid of action. (laughs) Like, they complicate these two states of being. And, like, as the pessimist, Wirt is depressed and apathetic. (laughs) Yeah. Again, a real Elijah Wood character. He he kind of, like, accepts things as they are, though, and he's rational. He can help... (laughs) He doesn't believe that birds should be able to talk. They both can help them get out of trouble in different ways. Uh, Greg seems to have the ability to get out of trouble just by sheer dumb luck. Yes. He just... He's full instinct. Yeah. He just does whatever comes to his mind, and it is, like, the perfect thing at the perfect moment. Yep. He just <laughs> acts. Yeah. Wirt's the thinker. It's true. And it, kind of- and it kind of creates this interesting team dynamic where they get a lot of shit done by using opposing methods. Yeah, they have very different styles of solving problems. Yeah. <laughs> and the main problem being they're lost and they're trying to find their way home. Mm-hmm. But I love that we kind of get um, these moments of them traveling through these places and leaving some kind of impact or positive result wherever they go. Well, that's great. That's what I was about to well, say. Well, except about. from the first episode, maybe. That's what I was about to They helped that dog. Okay. They also kind of fuck over the woodsman, though, by destroying his mill. That's probably okay. <laughs> Um, yes. <laughs> Not if you're a woods person. Yeah. So Greg wants to spread happiness in the world, and he's full of hope. And, <laughs> and Wirt, Wirt wants to spread misery. Wirt is depressed, actually. And all he can focus on is that depression. He's really focused on himself. And Greg is focused on doing things for others. And Wirt kind of is constantly, through poetic means, expressing his sense of loss and hopelessness. He's like a romantic poet, just wallowing in sorrow. He, like, when they're in the woodsman's hut in the first episode, he, like, reclines back on the chaise lounge and is just, like, like a wilting flower. (laughs) Oh, that's so great. (laughs) Like, going on about how he's lost at sea. He has a poet's heart. He literally recites poetry like half of the first episode. Yeah. Greg has the mentality that you like never give up. And he... You can never surrender. (laughs) He just wants to, like you said, Jamie, leave places better than when they got there. They don't always succeed at that. Yeah. I mean, he kind of sees through people's facades or their individual trauma and and sees a way out like for example in the last or in in the third episode mr langtree the guy who built the school for animals to teach them how to count and spell is like really bummed out because his school is running out of money and he's worried that he's gonna have to close it down 
And Greg helps come up with the idea to have this charity concert, and it really livens up the area. Yeah, everybody comes out there enjoying the concert. They're giving all of their gold to the school. and um, Funding education and the arts? Yeah. Again, we're talking some great socialist messages here. Yeah, exactly. And the local wildlife. Yeah. It's true. And supporting loving relationships, because... Uh, his daughter gets back together with her boyfriend who is stuck in that gorilla costume. <laughs> oh, poor Jimmy and his apparently incredibly difficult to remove gorilla costume. <laughs> All he could do was scream. Yeah, he couldn't even speak through it. And by the way, this is in the third episode, what we're talking about here. And they all seem like they're from the 1890s to the 1920s, somewhere in there. Yeah, I mean, there's a kind of weird timelessness to this world, which I super enjoy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting. We get, like, this pastoral cult from, like, the 1400s in episode two in Pottsfield. We get this, yeah, turn-of-the-century schoolhouse in the third episode. Lots of uh, southern, western draws yeah. for the characters in this. Yeah. The first episode, I shit you not, I was thinking of Bloodborne the whole time. One yes. of my favorite video games. It is this dark, spooky mill in the middle of the woods with this creepy woodsman, played by Christopher Lloyd, wonderfully. Yeah. Who's like, it's my job to grind the Edelwood branches to keep this lantern lit. To, by making oil, and I just have to always keep the lantern lit. And I'm like, holy shit, this is some FromSoft shit right here. Yeah, and I, he I am here for it. How it's his burden to bear. Yeah, I love that. It's like, so your job is to take wood, to grind, to make oil, to keep your lantern lit. Yeah, yeah, that's some Bloodborne shit. That's yes. some Dark Souls going on. Yeah. <laughs> It's really ritualistic in nature. Yeah. Plus, there's like a gigantic shadow monster that is out there trying to attack people. So he's the one who talks about responsibility to work. Also, as the older brother, he's responsible for his younger brother's yes. safety and actions, uh, which is an old-fashioned idea. But I mean, part of it can still hold. Where he's the older sibling, he it's it could be his job to protect and look out out for his younger brother. I I still think that is a good lesson. I think the point is that Wirt is supposed to be setting an example. Yeah. And because he's in such a low mood, it's very hard for him to provide that example for Greg. Now, Greg is, again, infinitely optimistic up to this point. So... It's not necessarily that that's the problem. It's just that the actions that they're taking are pretty rash and erratic in this first episode, especially. Yeah, and you know, Wirt does take that to heart. He just accepts that that's probably true when the woodsman tells him that and does try to take responsibility for what's happened when when they destroyed the mill. (laughs) Um, I can fix it, maybe. I can't fix it. (laughs) (laughs) He's honest. I'll give Wirt that much. Mm. And the messages around responsibility in the three episodes that we watched kind of center around like either righting wrongs or helping others in need or performing manual labor as a form of responsibility. Right. Or as an atonement for something that you've done. Right. Taking responsibility for your own actions and for the safety and welfare of others. Mm Mm-hmm. 
There's also these themes of obedience and how, like, especially like we said in the third episode, where Wirt is obstinately trying to prove that he doesn't just listen to what people say by just doing what everyone except Beatrice says. Right. Or, like, kind of personifying his uh, autonomy through Miss Langtree, giving him instructions as, like, a adult teacher authority figure. But this is all basically Wirt's childish reaction to being called, for lack of, you know, a better word, like subservient and beatrice later calls him out for being incredibly stubborn about that and wonders if he'll ever let it go and he says maybe i never will (laughs) (laughs) which is i mean really situates the fact that wirt is still a kid obviously yeah i mean he's definitely still a kid he's older than greg but he still has got a worldview that is very centered around the self yeah as children often do Bit of a holding cough field. <laughs> it's true. But yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, we're kind of already establishing some of the lessons that our characters are going to have to learn. Wirt is very nervous and anxious about everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's getting some mixed messages from different people. He's getting from the woodsman that he needs to be responsible. He's getting from Beatrice that he needs to be independent. Yeah. But really what she's saying is you should listen to me but it's kind of a message about like making your own choices she's from the get-go tried to be really controlling and like keep steering them towards this lady adelaide's house which i'm sure is completely legit and nothing to worry about yeah it, it's like i'm concerned and i mean i've seen the show before but it's like even if you haven't things aren't what they seem in this place they that's what we've Notice, like, they were afraid of the woodsman at first, but it turns out he's trying to help them. Um, I mean, he's got to keep that lantern lit. They thought that the skeletons were a scary cult. Just turns out they're They're just a not scary cult. They're undead, and they're just, like, vibing with their community. Yeah, just just vibing. And in the third episode, there's the scary loose gorilla. turns out he's just a dude in a gorilla costume, and he's stuck, and he needed help. Yeah. And also, Mr. Langtree... Seemed like he was a scary capitalist pig dog. And, and he might still be. But it turns out he was actually just scared himself. True. Uh, because he was going broke trying to fund the school and he wasn't getting any help. I'm still worried about his motives for teaching animals to count and spell. It was his daughter's idea. Okay. Who's the teacher, Mrs. Langtree? I'm just worried that he was trying to exploit them as cheap labor. Well, education is good. Education is great. And you like animals. I love animals. I like animals more than people. Educate the (laughs) animals. Okay. Maybe he was coming from a good place. He was going to sell their instruments because he was trying to keep their education. And he also is the one who houses the animals And feeds the animals. You're right. This is a scathing indictment of capitalism where we are seeing that the arts are given no credence where, you know, STEM. And education. He's funding it all himself. The arts and education. They're getting no public support. But he is emphasizing a STEM curriculum as opposed to an arts curriculum. Ah, yes. Is my point. Is that true. And this is what we see in the real world, right? When schools are struggling... You can't cut math and science because those classes are 
nationally required, federally required classes. What gets cut are arts and PE and stuff like that that is enriching in other ways. And actually (laughs) supports the STEM subjects in other ways. And that is actually becoming more and more apparent to educators and policymakers now. And that acronym is being changed to STEAM. STEAM! Science, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics. Nice. Because it's being acknowledged that the arts are actually an important component in the educational puzzle to support the other subjects because it promotes creative thinking. And I I like how the show points that out, how the arts are literally what's going to pay for the school to keep other curricula going. That's what Greg shows him, and he's the one with hope. He's the shining beacon of hope. It's true. The music also gave the animals happiness. No, the animals were very sad. They were so sad. You've never seen a pig more filled with despair. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. And Greg sings them a song, and the teacher is playing, uh, you know, Hurt by Johnny Cash on, uh, well, (laughs) Covered by Johnny Cash by (laughs) Nine Inch Nails on the piano. And Greg is like, please play something like this and make some horrible noises on it. And she's like, how about this? She's like, you're right. Let me play this sweet jazz. Yeah, yeah. But she was playing that depressing music because she was sad because she thought her boyfriend left her. It's yeah. true. And Turns out he's just stuck in a gorilla suit. He, We've all been there before. It's true. <laughs> but Greg brought the joy. He yeah. sang for everyone. He added a spice to their bland food. Yeah, molasses and potatoes um, sounds horrible, but I guess it made the animals happy. He also sings everywhere he goes and brings joy along with him. It's true. He does. Wirt and Beatrice don't enjoy it. Turns out literally everyone else in the world enjoys it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you're so close to someone, though, like it's easier for little quirks to to seem bigger and potentially, you know, more annoying or, or just to grate on you. Or if you're like in worse position where you're feeling scared and you're not sure what to do. Somebody's optimism, like Greg's, can be really difficult for somebody who's in a high-anxiety state to deal with. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, research is showing that people who are generally pessimistic or generally optimistic, like, it tends to be, regardless of severity of problems and stuff, people who cope with problems better do it whether it's little things or big things. Yeah. And work clearly is not somebody who copes with problems super well. Yeah. Which is fine. You know, he, he has to find methods and techniques for addressing his anxiety and for moving through the world. So Greg, in some ways, can be a teacher to work. Yeah. It's true. They kind of, we see them influencing each other, at least in these few episodes. And yeah. And they seem to have a great deal of love for one another. Yeah. They care about each other. Yeah. You get it from Wirt in his protectiveness. Yes. And you get it from Greg in just his general desire to make everything better around him. Right. Uh, He might not have the words to point out that Wirt is depressed, but he sees that something's wrong with his brother and he wants to lift his mood. Yeah. It's true. It's true. It's very sweet. And he's also the candy pants boy. 
It's true. So I feel he, like that statement is going to get us on some kind of list. Yeah. He literally is trying to leave a trail for them with candy that he's pulling out of his pants. <laughs> That's true. Episode one, he has a lot of candy. Yeah. A troubling amount of candy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Turns out it's what led the not beast to them. The shadow dog. Also, real quick, we didn't mention this before, but Gregory has a frog that he's been carrying around since right. we first met them. And he he starts out by trying to name the frog. and He begins with a list of all the names that would be a bad name for the frog. Yeah, which I don't remember. The worst names for the frog. Yeah. Then he just decides to call the frog Kitty for a while. And then he's like, Kitty's a bad name. I'm going to call him Wirt. And where it's like, that'll get confusing. He's like, no, because I'll call you Kitty. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Genius. Greg is a god of chaos. <laughs> I know. Chaos and positivity. Yes. Yeah. That's an Anansi if I've ever heard of one. Oh, yeah. There you go. That's pretty good. They are kind of like trickster gods in their uh, own respect. Yeah. I suppose so. Also, the woodsman stresses that it is important Greg gives the frog a good name. Yes, that's right. It is their parting words. Right. Yes, great point. And he says something that is going to be their burden to bear. Do you remember what it was? It was like about them trying to find their way home, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay. Right. And again, this this idea of responsibility, Mm -hmm. what you have to do to accomplish your goal or to become unstuck if you're lost or stuck with a situation. So we'll follow along with their journey in the coming episodes and figure out if they ever reach those goals. That's right. And you know, on that note, I think we can probably move into our final thoughts. All right, guys. Episode one, two, and three covered. It's about the length of an episode of TV, so it kind of works. What are your final thoughts on these first three episodes? One thing we didn't talk about so far is the art, because this is an animated show. And the art is is? (laughs) amazing. It's, It's interesting in its simplicity, but it's also unlike any other art I've seen in anything else. It's very dark and spooky. Yeah. But also kind of, I mean, but also very animated and cartoony. Right. It's cute. It is. It's cute. Cute and creepy. Yeah. Just like some of our friends. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. That's true. Some of our best friends. And. You know who you are. (laughs) Yeah. It's also very moody. There's a lot of dark tones. Yes. I mean, the um, title card for every episode has. Like a memento mori headstone marker skull at the top, and the antique, yeah, skull with wings that used to be on gravestones in the mid 1800s. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like a reminder to the living that life is short and that we all die. <laughs> Good thing to keep in mind. I like to keep that at the front of my mind all the time. Never forget it. <laughs> oh, God. And it's it's very, like, morose and morbid, but it's it's so cool visually, and I think that's really neat as part of the title card. Oh, yeah, it's Metal AF. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I love the art style. I I love the themes of death that pretty much permeate the, you know the whole thing. It creates this question of like, where are these kids? Yeah, is I this know. some kind of weird afterlife? We're already getting these questions right from the very beginning as they go to like Pottsfield. And I know they're interacting with the dead. Well, what does that tell us? They're yeah, not like, dead. You're here too early. It's like okay. Yeah, how are they there? Yeah, <laughs> but it's dream logic, right? Yeah. Like a lot of the like being stuck in the gorilla suit. Oh, I can't get out of this gorilla suit, and I can't communicate. Like in something else, it'd be contrived, but in this, it just feels like, oh, of course, well, Jimmy couldn't get out of the gorilla suit and was stuck in there for months. To your point, like animals in clothing being taught in a school is also very dream logic. I don't see what's weird about that at all. <laughs> You're losing me with that. What about you, Jack? You introduced us to this show. I just think this show, well, this is going to be my third time watching through it. And just to remind listeners, the entire series is two hours long. So you could sit through this and watch it real quick, and I do recommend it. It's spooky, it's cute, it's so much fun. For example, in the third episode, Gregory teach, uh, is playing a game with the animals called Two Old Cat. <laughs> yes. Which is so goofy. He finds an old cat. He's like, see, I got one. Now you find one. And someone finds an old cat with, like, glasses and a cane. He's like, <laughs> oh, nice. Wait, sorry. I think that one is actually too old. Yeah. And then it's all sad, and the animals are giving it milk to console it and yeah. stuff. Everybody's, for the most part, very friendly. I think it's good messages for a kid's show. It has these really stimulating, grim implications all over the place. Right. It's sort of unsettling, but optimistic, which I think is so cool. Yeah. And I think you'll really be fascinated by it. The art, like Chelsea said, iconic. It's just really unlike anything else. And it's so fast to watch. Really, give it a watch. I totally recommend it. Do it now. Yes. And, you know, you, you can watch it in little chunks, too. Because, like I said, the episodes are only 11 minutes long. So. Right. Yeah. But hey, we'll be back in two weeks to talk about episodes four, five, and six. That's right. But hey, Chelsea, what movie are we watching next week? Next week, we're actually going to be watching Kung Fu Panda. Another Jack choice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nothing like a silly panda that fights. Just in time for Thanksgiving. (laughs) (laughs) Is Kung Fu Panda a Thanksgiving movie? Almost. All right. I guess we'll see. I'll buy it. Because I've never seen it before. Same. (laughs) I think I've seen it like 20 times. (laughs) Like literally? Around between 10 and 20. I mean, I know you've seen Labyrinth 50 times, so. And until then, if you've been enjoying our show, maybe consider giving us a follow on social media, at Swords and Satire, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can keep up with the stuff we're watching. Get in touch with us and check out some memes that we make. That's true. And if you just really loved this and you're like, this is my favorite podcast about fantasy. This is everybody in their brains right now. Then we have good news for you because you can head over to patreon.com slash swords and satire and become a supporter of our show and help us keep the candles lit at Castle Satire here. Please do it. We're only using candlelight right now. (laughs) (laughs) 
We have different tiers that you could join, and each one has exclusive episodes and art available for you to enjoy. And anybody at any tier gets to vote on the movies, a movie that we watch each month. What could be cooler than that? It's pretty Nothing. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's true, but if you haven't put up a musical fundraiser to get money to put toward your favorite satirists, well, perhaps you can go around telling all your friends and family about Swords and Satire. Spread the knowledge of your new found favorite show to those you care about, and maybe you can watch some of the stuff we watch with them. And share some of the funniest episodes we've made with them. I'm sure they'll love you even more for it. Nice. If they don't, they don't love you. That's true. <laughs> well, until next time, Hail Crom!